Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. It happens every single year. A player comes from the clouds over the final 10 to 12 games of a season, priced at a range that for salary cap owners is undeniable value. In drafts, can often be found on the waiver wire and they storm home over the final few months of the year and deliver premium-like scoring. And then we look at them for the new year and we go, oh, there's my upside guy. But is he a guy that is going to dominate for us in that same role and with that same scoring pedigree? Or is he going to continue to maybe slow back to what he used to be? We are talking about Sam Flanders. He is number eight in my 50 most relevant. He's my final forward in this series. So am I saying he's the most relevant? Yeah, I am. But am I saying he's the biggest scorer for the year? We're going to talk about that. It's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you all, thank you so much for watching and for listening to this series. There's just a week or so left to go before we wrap up the 50 most relevant. It's a conversation that we have with various content creators from across the fantasy footy community and from within the Coaches Panel, unpacking who I think are the most relevant players to have conversations about this pre-season. Joining me on this episode of the Coaches Panel 50 Most Relevant, a guy that has been a regular staple of the these collaborations over the years. He's one of my favorites in the fantasy footy community. Stevie Fizz from the Draft Doctors, mate. Nice to see you. I know there's beautiful irony bringing you on for the Sam Flanders episode, but he's a fascinating guy to have a conversation about. Yeah, no, he is. I agree. And uh, thanks for having me back, man. It's always one of my favorite shows uh, of the off season when I tune into regularly. So it's, yeah, I, I enjoy it. And he's a great player to talk about, I think. Yeah, you just don't have to watch back this episode now because you know what happens. You don't have to see yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so positives for yourself on that one. Let's look at that 2023 season, an average of 88.4 in Supercoach, coming off the back of a $494,200 price point. Six tons last year in Supercoach with a career and season high top score of a 130. While over in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, an 86.6 seasonal average, a bunch of tons rolling through there. Yep, all six of them in the final stretch of the year that we will talk about in a moment. A top score of career high territories as well, 146. And he's priced at 809,000 in AFL Fantasy and just a touch over 825,000 in Dream Team. And Steve, I think anybody that's spent some time either as a draft watcher, listened to the draft doctors, or, or just been acutely watching what this new generation of Gold Coast Suns players would become, they've known for a long time Sam Flanders is this dynamic mid-forward type, really clean hands, really powerful and prestigious talent. And finally, at the back half of last year, Flanders got the opportunity, added some consistency to his game, and now he feels like he's arrived and belongs on the AFL stage. Yeah, he he did get the run. It's and he showed out everything that you like to see from a fantasy perspective. I I look at someone like that, and obviously when Stuart Jew got the flick, he got the role. I just wonder how many other guys are like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like they could really show out if they got the role, and for whatever reason, they don't get it. But he did it. So good luck to him. Got a new deal. Got a new coach. So positive reports in the preseason too. 
Yeah, so based on where he's priced at for us in classic formats, we will have a big deep dive on draft conversations. You can't have the host of the draft doctors and not talk about draft on this podcast. But in terms of where his average sits last year, it's fourth of available forwards for us in AFL Fantasy and 10th for available forwards for us in Supercoach. But we really should deep dive about what he did over the final 10 rounds of the year from round 15 to 24. It's over this 10-week stretch that he really did ball out for us. He averaged 29 possessions, 5.7 marks, 3.2 tackles, a 38% Senate bounce attendance rate, and he averages a 105 in AFL Fantasy, a 106 in Supercoach. From that point of that role change on one score under 90 in AFL Fantasy, nothing under 81 in Supercoach. You often joke, Steve, on your podcast that you are the number one ticket holder or incarnations of that of the Gold Coast Suns. What actually happened in this 10-game stretch? Because sometimes we can just look at the data and think, oh, it was a role change. But what happened with him and the Suns in general that was the causation of this scoring bump that puts him, if he can hold those numbers, as a premium forward? Yeah, it's a really good question, mate. And I think it's important. Like We're really good at taking small samples of players and going, this is the best case scenario. Let's extrapolate it over a season. But we often don't put context around it. So there was a couple of things that shifted for the Suns last year. They went from being mid-table in terms of ruck stoppages to uh, at, to the very top, not, not the top, but at the very pointy end of that. So the, the more... Ruck contests, there are there are more opportunity for midfielders to score. And also the meters gained per disposal. So there are a bit more chip-chip, a bit more marks taken per game. Again, more opportunity for fantasy points. So really it was the best of both worlds shifting back uh, for the Suns. Obviously Sam Flanders became a bigger part of that midfield. And, and that's sort of the story. So I think when we look at uh, – it's going to be – we'll talk about where they're going – future but i think it's um really hard to project that uh perfect storm of situations for flanders under stuart dew was almost stuck inside forward 50 there was some midfield push some up up through contest the occasional opportunity at a stoppage and a center bounce but was really under stuart dew a high half forward at best whereas under Stephen King, when he moves into that coaching role, okay, some center bounce, a little bit more wing presence, a little bit more freedom to roam around the ground alongside, as you mentioned, that increasing meters gained in stoppage. But now they're sitting under Damien Hardwick. For anyone that thinks that he's not just taking strong core DNA from what Richmond were good at and not trying to apply elements of that into the new team, it's probably a bit of a mistake but also to just think copy-paste using the same troops of what got it done at Richmond and it'll happen at Gold Coast is probably also a little bit of a, a mistake too. Steve, what, what's your read on this Gold Coast Suns side and style of play? Because it's a different group of boys at a different season of time with different skill sets under Richmond, but Dimmer knows a really strong way to play football. Yeah, and I yeah, as fantasy creator or content creators, whatever you want to do, we have to make projections about what's going to happen. So I'm I'm taking the line that they will try to emulate that. And we saw GWS do it. It was a little bit bumpy at first. Uh, they did get clicking towards the end. 
So I expect them to do that. I think the one non-negotiable he'll bring is pressure. I think that's a good thing for that midfield. They got Matt Rowe, number one pressure player in the game. So I would expect that. This is a team who has moved the ball long before, whether that's because they were under pressure and just wanted to roost the hell out of there. Um, that's one thing. So I, I expect them to bring that across to the table. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Um, yeah. yeah, I do too. I, I, I see them taking a lot of those things and then it'll be tiny nuances based on players and their skill set and what makes them great that we might see that. We know under a Damien Hardwick system, a Dustin Martin, for example, was allowed to play to his strengths and certain players sacrificed or adapted their game to sit in that structure. And I'm expecting a very similar elements and nuances. If that thread runs true for us, then there's this, I don't know if it's a misconception or a myth, but it's certainly probably overbeaten into the community that Damien Hardwick coach teams don't deliver premiums for us outside of Dustin Martin in 2017. And you've done some great work on your podcast uh, over the preseason talking about this. Earlier in the preseason, we did an episode on Jaden Short in the 50 most relevant, talking about how no, there's multiple years across multiple formats and multiple players inside midfielders delivering 100-plus seasons. Prestia would have done that most years had his hamstrings not gone ping. Off the halfback, Jaden Short has shown for a number of years, Basha Hooley and even a Dan Rioli in spurts has shown really good scoring. The spot that probably hasn't delivered high scoring for us is half-forwards with low to minimum CBA presence and the outside wings due to that high-pressure surge just get the ball forward. Don't worry about overpossessing it. Does that get you a little, maybe not concerned, but require you to have confidence that Flanders will be a good pick for us this year, that he has to have a heavier center bounce attendance role than even he had at the end of last year? Uh, it's a good question. I, I, I like his, I like what he can do. Uh, I don't know that it's like, I mean, I'll push back a little bit um, that maybe the half forwards haven't been great. We've seen, uh, Shay Bolton. I mean, whether you consider him high CBA or not, that's probably up to you. But like Dustin Martin had started in the center bounces and then rolled forward a lot. I'm not saying Sam Flanders is Dustin Martin, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I think there is opportunity. Maybe the guys aren't the high end salary cap guys. Like I like Ben Ainsworth for draft this year. He's probably not salary cap relevant, but I think he'll be okay. Um, so I, I think your point is is well taken, MJ. But the wings seem to be a bit of a dead zone. Yeah. What does this inside midfield look like? Raul certainly feels like a non-negotiable. I'll at least listen to a conversation that Noah Anderson might be an in and outside player this year. He might not be, but I'll at least entertain that conversation. There's some that think Took finds his way to a flank a little bit more. And then Flanders, does this increase his pathway to more time? Uh, you watch the Suns as much as anyone I know. What's your take on this midfield mix for the Suns under a Damien Hardwick team? Yeah, I think it's going to be the main four you talk about, um, what that percentage looks like. I think Matt Rowe doesn't play anywhere else. I'd suspect Hook Miller, if he like if he plays forward, it's going to be a resting 
situation, probably similar with Noah Anderson. I think Sam Flanders can probably get into that 50% range. Um, and then you're going to see a sprinkling of uh, your Bailey Humphreys, et cetera. Uh, maybe someone with some speed we don't expect. Probably not David Swallow. Probably his no, days no. are over. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, if you're looking for some speed to come through that midfield, he's probably not the one uh, that's going to get them there. I'm, I'm intrigued this last 10 stretches of the of the year that Flanders had. He averaged 5.7 marks per game in that 10-game stretch. And you might be like, well, MJ, that's, that's not a drastically big number. No, it's not a drastically big number, but it is a significant number because – if I use that as the baseline to 2023 and take out players that play less than three games because there's statistical anomalies in that, you've got 52 guys last year that averaged 5.7 marks or more for a season. How many of those 52 were not defenders? 11. These are their names. Charlie Kerno, Mason Wood, Harry Mackay, Isaac Smith, Tim English, Jesse Hogan, Joe Danaher, Dane Zorko, Will Day, Jeremy Camp, and I'm probably stretching the defender rule given he spent half the year there, but just trying to make the number bigger, Sam Doherty. So that marks, which ultimately unlocks a lot of those other scorings via possessions and disposals. That, for me, gets me a little concerned without even looking at the buys and the rest of the forward looks like. That gets me a little concerned that as good as he was in that scoring stretch last year, if he's coming into a team that has never been a high-mark coach team under a Damian Hardwick, I do feel a little concerned that maybe this expectation in the community, which is really high based on ownership, I'm not too sure I can see it coming. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. And I was sort of, when you said, oh, let's talk about Sam Flanders, I was like, oh, ha, 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 yeah. And then I looked at his ownership in the, because I'm not playing classic, you know, I'm not on it every day. And I was like, 42% owned. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like, it, and it probably depends which day you catch me on. Like some days I'll be like, yeah, Flanders playing midfield. It's all really thin team in terms of quality. Uh, yes, it's getting better. And there should be a concentrated point spread had the great end to the season, but then also the flip side. Yeah. He's not going to take that many marks. Yeah. They're probably going to go from the, the apex of uh, ruck stoppages, probably down to the seller. That's going to be less. I can see it both ways. I'm still projecting him um, in that 90 range, but I don't see that high nineties hundred plus. Yeah. And I think that's what coaches that are on him are anticipating or arguably needing in a classic format and even in drafts, depending on where he's landing based on an ADP perspective to kind of end up. He's the highest owned forward in AFL fantasy at time of recording when you take all those rookies out. And he's the second highest owned forward in super coach behind Jackson McRae. Again, when you take out some of those rookies. So his ownership couldn't be higher or stronger or bigger for us through there. And then we do come alongside this interesting little speed bump. The buy that hits early because they play an opening round means opening round teams will take a break somewhere in the first six weeks and in those six weeks for salary cap and classic owners it will be a best 18 approach where for draft it's just cop it on the chin for that week that that guy you've drafted is there from a draft perspective i'm not sure if you've got a, a classic perspective on it too but certainly from a draft perspective how do you view players that have these early buys does it do you not care and just trug on on draft day or does it fade them a little bit in your mind 
Yeah, probably usually I would say I don't care about the buyers. I don't when it was just mid-season. This year, I'm probably – I'm just going to be aware of it in, in my draft because I don't – I don't – I think it gets understated in draft having a good start. When you, when you have a good start and you get a few wins early, it allows so much flexibility later on in the season. So, yes, I'm happy to draft Flanders. Uh, I have him ranked as my F2 in fantasy. I have him as F3 in Supercoach. So I'm happy to take him, but I just don't want to stack up my team with a heap of these guys. And the problem with Flanders in Classic is there's so many other guys who I prefer who have that early buy. I look at Gorn or Grundy. Uh, I love Lockie Whitfield. Like There's so many other guys who I can get behind as being good value. So he's more of an afterthought for me. They play Richmond in opening round, then it's Gold Coast, then it's the Bulldogs is kind of their first three matchups that we see them play for us. And then they venture into that buy territory for us. It's super interesting to me that nobody's ever been presented with this before. There's been an era of time back in a bygone era where Gold Coast first entered into the competition where we were used to having a team have a week off and had to navigate our way through it. It probably got offset by just that high volume of available cheap cash cows for us. But if you've been playing classic formats of the game for over a decade, you kind of found your way to navigate through it a little bit more, but politely, you listen to a different content creator in the community and they have a perspective. Then you flip over to your next favorite and they almost feel like there's a, a counterpoint that you go, yeah, that's right. And then you go to your third favorite and you're like, they're somewhere in the middle. Politely, Steve, none of us have ever gone through this. So we're all just speculating and putting forward our best thoughts. And that's absolutely okay. There's no problem with anybody doing that. But at the end of the year or midway through the year in that next buy block, that's when we'll get to see whether fading out of these mid-price or top-price guys early is a correct approach, trading them at their buy, or just copping it on the chin, throwing the extra rookie on the field and hoping some ceiling comes. All feel viable and we'll get to know in the lighter day at the end of the year. Yeah, 100%, mate. Like, I think when you when you're talking content, you you have to take the line, and it, it, even with players, like, and we can disagree on players till the cows come home, and that's fine. Just be respectful about it. The wash up, that's why we play, man. That's that's the whole point of fantasy is to be like my opinion's better than yours and all that sort of, and bragging rights, all that sort of stuff. So I just, I, I don't, I just say take a line, tell yourself a story, at least have reasons for why you're doing it, um, put some context around it, and. Hey man, it's that's fine. That's it's a game. Like you know, yeah, it shouldn't we'll, change we'll your mood out. as you enter into a week day starting. It, it it shouldn't be the thing that determines your your mental health and your capacity of how you're functioning. Well, look with with Flanders, there's there's really three valid approaches when it comes to classic and and outputs that come your way. You start him based off what you see in the preseason. Well, we're about to get to games over these next couple of weeks. You start him. He delivers exactly in that range of what he did at the back half of last year, which is that pushing and is in that premium territories. You start it, you're laughing all the way to the bank and you get to that round three buy and you go, it's just a blip on the radar. I'll throw a cow on and I might lose 20 or 30 points that week, but politely 20 or 30 points can be picked up relatively easy. The other option is you start him and you get to round three 
And he's not meeting the metrics that you need, not just from a points perspective, but a game style, from a positioning in the team style. And you make that trade at round three. While certainly not ideal, how many of those first trades that you make in your classic team are correctional trades of things that you're like, I messed that up. I missed that guy. This isn't quite working. You ask anybody that's been successful in one formats or highly ranked coaches, they make trades when they see something change fast. And so there's absolutely no problem with doing that. And in super coach and dream team, you got 40 trades, let alone the two trades a week in AFL fantasy. So you can double trade for 20 weeks straight in those two formats and then just run out of trades. So you've got plenty to work your way through and probably three or four, you can politely be extra careless with more than that. Or you fade him. You do not start him at round one. You don't like what you see in the preseason. And if in rounds one and two, he pops, he's on the buy in round three. You can target it from that point on. And at worst, you're paying what, maybe 50, 60K if he goes 110 plus across the formats in that price point. So it does feel like whichever way you kind of skin this Flanders cat, you feel pretty confident that you've got a pathway to make this work for you. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I, I'm with you on the just wait. Like you can, if you take a guy who's got the buy in say round five, well, Flanders will be off his buy in round five. Just pick him up then. The other thing about doing that is you're going to have um, pretty good DPP data. So you you know who's going to be a DPP two weeks later in your classic format. So I I think he's an easy guy to um, avoid at the start. Yeah, I tend to be with you. I'm going to take punts in some other spaces rather than on a potential roll and the early buy combination for me. I'll happily trade into him at round four if I need it. Take the data of what are the forwards doing? Who might pick up forward status and what is he doing in that Gold Coast side? I'm quite comfortable to do that. I won't talk anybody out of starting him, but the question I'd ask is what do you need to see in the preseason to fade interest in him? If that's the case, if you're bullish on the role and you're bullish on the scoring, what is that trigger parachute point in those practice and preseason games? Not intra-club, they're doubling up against each other. Of course, he's going to get a heavy CBA roll through there. So what are you seeing about style and play and positioning? And off the basis of that, you fade or you start him. He's relevant because if you start him and he pops and you're on him, you're a genius. If you start him and he dies, it's a pain point for you. If you fade him, you've got options to jump on early or continue the pathway without him. So he's one of not just a relevant player, but to me, I think he's the most relevant forward we have because of how defining he could be with what you do with your team and your trades and your structure early on in the year. But draft is different. Steve, we know there's so many differences. And if anyone tries to send you a salary cap question on your podcast, they are sent to the door very, very quickly. You've already told us where he sits in your draft ranking. So F2 in AFL Fantasy, F3 in Supercoach. 
helpful for us to know. And of course, the Draft Doctor's draft kit is out now. We've got the link in the bio for you. So you can go in there, buy that. Seriously, it's the best draft resource you're going to be able to get this preseason for you. But talking not just about positioning, where do we get forwards this year? What does this mean for us? Because last year, we went heavy on them early. This year, is it the same approach or should we be fading where we show interest in our forwards this year? Yeah, it's really interesting. And and obviously, there's, there's a bit of groupthink uh, in the way we approach this sort of thing, which is strange. I wasn't sure which way we were going to go on Flanders. So it's really interesting to hear we're in the... Um, the same boat. He's going at the minute. He's going. It's early draft days. He's going in about round five for AFL Fantasy Classic. So he picks in the early forties. Um, I'd probably go a little bit earlier I'd, if I was taking him. I'd probably go a bit around, probably around three. Uh, it probably depends where you're drafting your rucks, which is going to be probably league size dependent. And when I say like I mentioned before, I've got him projected in that ninety to ninety five range. There's a world where he averages 105. Like I'm not 100%. saying that's off off the table completely. So I think he's a nice guy to um, pick in drafts. Yes, we have seen uh, the early drafts that people are fading fading forwards in a in a massive way, um, like I haven't seen before. So it's pretty interesting. Uh, may, maybe it makes your draft a bit less interesting because everyone's just going to pick a mid early. Um, it seems to be the way. So. There's a world where he goes 105 across the formats and is one of, if not the best forward in the game. There's also a world where he doesn't get as much of that ball in the system that we know Gold Coast are likely to play under Damian Hardwick. And he struggles to get past 80 in AFL fantasy and probably holds his range in Supercoach given the style of impact and scoring that he has. I feel a little bit more confident that he could hold that even with a drastic game style. But is that enough for you on draft or in classic? That's the real big question. Mate, it's a pleasure to have you on this episode. Where can people get in touch with you on social media? And also, where can they find out more about the draft doctors and the great work you're doing this preseason? No, they can't. They can't. No, um, and we're at the Draft Doctors on Twitter, uh, obviously, and we're draftdoctors.com.au on the, the webs, the internets, and, uh, yeah, you can get the draft kit. All the links are in the banner up the top, which people are having trouble with, MJ. They can't buy the kit. They're having trouble. They're getting in there and having problems. And, and I've got to be honest, customer service is angry this year, not helpful at all. But when you're a one-man band, like it's like, how do we get this thing to work? No new new listeners are allowed to the podcast, by the way. So if you've never listened, is it politely just don't worry or just sit quietly and bide your time for a six-month window before you comment? Yeah, you've got to get some inside jokes into you first and then you can... Okay. Yeah, people are, people are sneaky these days, man. There's so many salary cap questions getting through. Yeah, if getting... you just put ADP in yeah. the question... <laughs> You're fine. Don't mention price, but say ADP and you'll trick him to answer it. So my pleasure, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Scumbags. Scumbags. (laughs) If you missed any of those links that he talked about to join uh, in on what the draft doctors are doing for you this preseason, put them in the description of this episode. Like seriously, it is one of the best tools going around. Please make sure you go in and get it. I am today going to purchase my copy of the draft kit. So make sure you go and do that. They've done a great work for the community in the drafting space for a long, long time. If you want to go and check out the article on Sam Flanders or any of the other players we've done so far in the 50 most relevant coachespanel.tv 
is the place to find it. These daily audio podcasts continue to drop, not just through the 50 most relevant, but every single day of the preseason. You can go to wherever you get your audio podcast from and you'll have a brand new episode from the coaches panel. And in 2024, we thought... Why not? Let's put these episodes up on YouTube. You can watch us have conversations about every single player and a bunch of strategy episodes also coming. New content landing every day over at YouTube. Make sure you subscribe, get those notifications on. So as soon as you have the new episode, your device will let you know it's there and you can jump in and check those things out. If you haven't followed the Coaches Panel before on social media, all the links are in the description of this episode as well as our Patreon supporter group. They get a ton of additional rewards and exclusive content that nobody else gets. If you are not a part of the Patreon supporter group, why not do that? The links for everything you need for us and for the Draft Doctors in the description of this episode. So we're almost at the end of the 50 most relevant. What are we? seven or so players to go time to bring mini bunk back on the podcast it's been like a week and a half since I've, I've had mini monk back on so tomorrow he's my special guest and tomorrow we're talking about a player that when we talk about pre-season hype there's not anybody that has more than this player in almost every classic team reveal i've seen across twitter across other content creators everybody's picking this guy and expecting massive boost in scoring. They've seen the role change. They know where he's positioned, what he's priced at. He is only heading to the moon. And it's likely probable. But regression is just as probable. Things change over a year. And even though this new role is secured in his team, you're really prepared to put your seasonal structure on the line for a one or two month hit. You'll find out who this player is. And is he really that critical? Or can you actually take him on? You'll find out tomorrow in the 50 most relevant.